Well, I'm here today with my good friend, Dr. Bob Bacco, and he's going to talk to us all throughout this hot August night series about his wisdom expertise. So, Bob, thank you so much for being here today. Would you just uh, maybe talk to us a bit about who you are, a little bit of your background, just so we get the feel of you? Sure. Thanks for inviting me to participate in this. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor and I practice out of Billings with Northwest Counseling Centers, which is a ministry. In my 39 years of practice, um, I, I specialize in certain areas and marriage is one of those relationships. In fact, the majority of my time is relationship work. Yeah. In, in your view, Bob, would you just talk to us about what the, what the real glue of any relationship, we could be talking about mm -hmm. a friend relationship or a marriage relationship, a dating, what's mm -hmm. the, as you see it, 39 years uh, of looking in on relationships? Um, a common commitment to Christ is centerfold. Um, without that common faith and a common commitment to following Christ, um, there's automatic distraction in the relationship and people are not, in the two people, are not gonna find themselves on the same page. So that's the start. Yeah, absolutely. From that comes things like loyalty, respect, responsibility, commitment. So uh, the glue is, is accepting imperfection and being intentional about moving forward with the relationship on a daily basis. What do you think the biggest mistake is that people make in any, any kind of relationship? Distraction. In my experience with marriages that are in trouble, they can be distracted by their own self-centeredness. They can be distracted by things they don't like in their partner. They can be distracted by the tension and stress of life. Um, they can lose their focus spiritually and, and really get off kilter from losing their compass of direction and their, and their bearing and their moral compass of direction. But there's lots of other distractions. You know, like men between 25 and 50, they're trying to build empires and careers and slay all the dragons and families suffer. Uh, relationships suffer. It, it, it really comes down to value and what a person values. Um, I hear people all the time say, I value my family, but when you look at their life, their value is really other things. Hi, Journey. How you doing today? Really good to be with every single one of you today, especially if you're our guest. We're honored by your presence here today. You're gonna get to hear from Dr. Bob. Uh, I spent three hours uh, in the chair with him the other day, uh, and we're gonna take snippets of that whole entire interview and sort of spread it out over these five weeks daily. You'll get to know Bob well. He's a good friend over the last 25 years in my life. Pretty cool deal that uh, happened this week. Stephanie Edwards, who's wife of Brandon, our worship and creative arts pastor, gave birth to their fourth child on Thursday. Her name is, you should applaud that, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they'll call her Millie, uh, mother, baby, rest of the clan are doing very, very well, and uh, when you see them, be sure to welcome 
Millie to the world. Cool to see Brandon's parents. And uh, you're just elated, no doubt, right? Fourth grandchild, and that's a bunch of fun. Uh, it's August, right? And how many of you are thrilled that it's August? Because we get to talk hot August nights right here, right? Yeah. It's a series of messages about how God sees relationships, how God sees love, dating, sex, marriage. Well, no better way to say it than hot August night. We're going to start off today by talking about relationships, as you may have guessed from my interview with Dr. Bob, the stuff that relationships are made of. And I'd be really remiss if I didn't credit a guy named Dr. Gary Smalley, some stuff that he's written on relationships that help resource my study and my prep for this message. And we're talking about relationships because according to a guy named Dr. Scott Stixel, life is relationships. The rest is just details. All of life is relationships. The rest is just details. He's absolutely right. And whenever you synthesize anything and everything that's close to mattering in life down to its very, very essence, it's relationships, isn't it? Just try really, really hard to name something that doesn't somehow touch into a relationship in one way or another. Just try that little exercise. You can't do it. Home, work, driving, recreating, working out, shopping, vacationing, attending a worship gathering like this, doing just about anything you do in our day-to-day lives involves people and relationships at some level. Now, much to many people's chagrin very often, did you know that you even interact with people in your sleep? Right? You, you know this, right? Now, sometimes it's good interaction with people in our sleep. Sometimes I'm just gonna use the word weird interaction with people in our sleep. But sleep, you'd think, is this really solitary thing, right? You just kind of do it by yourself. There may be somebody laying next to you, but you're kind of alone. But there's no escape, even in your sleep, from the realm of relationships. And all around us, what's true is that we're seeing, we're feeling, we're experiencing all of us, relationships that are in need of help and healing, aren't we? I'm gonna do a confession moment right here, right now. Show of hands. How many of you are aware? It's not, it's not too introspective. This is just sort of looking objectively at the world around you. How many of you are just aware right now of a relationship that needs help and healing right now? Show of hands. A relationship that you, yeah, like look around this room. Good heavens, yes. See, We all know of a relationship that it's in need of help. Now, it might involve us, certainly, but I didn't ask that. We just are keenly aware. And relationship damage and relationship pain, relationships in need of help and healing, abound. And we are a part of many of those relationships. Husbands, wives, parents, children, sisters, brothers, neighbors, coworkers who are in conflict, in tension, maybe are ignoring one another, maybe intentionally or perhaps even unintentionally hurting one another, they're everywhere. And I'd go as far as to argue that relationship, societally, relationship difficulty increases year after year, doesn't it? It just increases. Seems like life is getting more and more and more relationally difficult year after year. It's almost as if our society has forgotten the true nature of relationships. 
Oftentimes we try to reduce relationships to a simple list of to-dos or how-tos. If you'll just do step one, step two, step three, everything will be just fine. Lots of times we try to bury relationships maybe beneath a stack of relational improvement DVDs. Just watch these DVDs and well, everything in your life, all your relationships will get better. But culturally, it doesn't work that way. Relationships have sort of taken on the status of the weather, it seems. Everybody talks about them, certainly, but who in the world knows what to do? Who in the world knows what to do? Now, I know that when I say what I'm about to say, it will sound overly simplistic, but the answer to that question, who in the world knows what to do when it comes to relational strife and relational difficulty, the answer is, well, God knows what to do. He absolutely knows what to do, which is why we're going to turn our attention to him and say, God, I don't know exactly what to do in this relational challenge, this relational rut, pothole that I'm in, but I believe you do, and I believe you have the way out, a way out, and I want to follow, God, your best intention here. The ever-increasing level of pain and relational damage, it doesn't have to increase year after year, see? Because God actually made us to live a certain way relationally. And if we can align our thinking, if we can align our behaviors with the way that God made us to live, then what's true is that we can function in a more harmonious manner within all of our relationships. See, God made our relationships, every single one of them, up of some very basic, hardwired, concrete, unalterable, immutable truths that speak to and about all people in all times, transcends culture, language, continent, it doesn't matter. And to understand just what the stuff is that every single relationship is made of, we gotta go back, way back, all the way to the beginning, as you might have guessed, to the story of the first man, first woman, whose names were what? Adam and Eve, good job. In Genesis chapter one in the Bible, we pick up the story about a man, the first man, the very first person that God created. And if you could just for a moment set yourself into Adam's bare feet, because he probably didn't wear shoes. And just imagine what that would have been like for him. Imagine this incredibly organic connection that Adam would have felt with his environment, the incredible bond of connection that he would have felt with God. It would have been indescribable. We lack words to describe what that would have been like for Adam. And then set yourself into Adam's place and just think about the spot where he was. The place where God set Adam, the Garden of Eden, it was paradise truest sense of the word. Eden was free from war, famine, natural catastrophe. Most of all, at least for a season, it was free from sin. Peace would have reigned in Adam's heart. He was at peace with God, at peace with himself. He knew very, very well his place in the bigger picture. He had work to do. And it wasn't just any work. It was work that was actually handed to him directly by God, he had this incredibly close and vibrant relationship with God, his creator. God gave Adam everything that he ever needed to take care of himself. And as you read the narrative of creation and the earliest beginnings of humanity, Genesis doesn't record any account whatsoever of Adam complaining about anything in the Garden of Eden. And yet the text gives us some indication, a clue, that the author sort of pops in that something was missing. 
Adam's relationship with God, with God was absolutely vibrant, fulfilling, yet God knew that there was something, there was a, a gift that he could give Adam that would be more. And that gift was a human partner. That gift was human interconnectedness. God said it this way, chapter two, verse 18 of Genesis, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And how cool would it have been to have been Adam and have God call you the man, right? And the Lord God said, it's not good for the man. And God really means that, to be alone. Whoa. And this mind-blowing encounter, can you imagine the first time that Adam saw Eve? Wow. That irresistible longing that he would have felt for this intimacy that was deeper than even their human senses could experience. Whoa. God set both of them, man, woman, and he set inside of them this intense desire for emotional and physical connection. God entwined their inner spirit, the very most intimate connection of the soul that we have come to call human. You thought I was gonna say sex, didn't you? I know you. It's human relationship. The very most intimate connection of the soul, human relationship. And we just about all universally know the story of the first man and the first woman. God gives them responsibility, gives them authority for everything else he had made. He gives them unlimited access to the fruit of the tree of life that was planted dead center in the middle of the Garden of Eden. Life couldn't have been better for the first two humans. They were safe, they were connected, they were provided for, they were endlessly satisfied both by God and by each other. Just one little thing, pesky little detail. Adam and Eve's all access pass to the garden had just one qualifier, didn't it? Don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else is a big old yes. That one tree, big old no. Just don't. And Satan, who is often referred to as the deceiver, he saw the qualifier that God gave to his children as a weak point and convinced them to ignore God's directive about that one tree. If you eat from this tree, you will, what did he say? You will be like God. If you eat from this tree, you will be like God. And honestly, when you put it in those terms, who could possibly refuse an offer like that? We'd all have difficulty refusing that offer. Desirous of the very same wisdom and power that God had, the first man, first woman chose what they perceived to be the better way. Sure, God, there's your way, but this way seems better. And the story continues, right? God comes for a walk in the garden. He wants to hang out with Adam and Eve as he was wont to do. But Adam and Eve hid. Why? They were afraid. They were ashamed of the consequences of everything that they had done. And of course, right, like who can hide from God? He always knows what's up. And so he says, hey, 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 will you just tell me like in your own words what happened? He knew, but he wanted to hear them say it. And, and what happened? Adam pointed the finger at Eve. Eve points the finger at the serpent, neither of them owning their misdeeds, mis steps and that choice here's what we know to the core of our being that choice that the first man and the first woman made shook everything 
And that shaking is reverberating all the way until this very moment. Lost in a moment was that vibrant, harmonious relationship that the first humans had with God. Lost was this profoundly satisfying relationship that Adam and Eve had with each other. Their relationships all of a sudden were in a tatter, all of them. Relational damage right then was introduced onto the landscape of the human experience. Had never happened before. It was clear sailing until that moment and then all of a sudden, There was a storm, and we're walking in the footsteps of Adam and Eve to this very day. We, as a result of their choice, battle the effects of shattered relationships to this very moment. And lots of us walked into this room today carrying the weight of battered, tattered, shattered relationships. It's very real. And yes, absolutely, the story of the first humans didn't end the way he hoped it would, yet still there, embedded within the narrative are these telltale markers of everything that human relationships are made of. Three very simple, deeply profound pieces of the relationship puzzle, which is how we're gonna spend the rest of our time together today. The first of the stuff that every human relationship is made of is that you're made for, well, relationships. You are made for relationships. One of the greatest bands of all time, you know who it is? You know what I'm thinking of right now? You know the band I'm thinking of? Come on. It's U2, by the way. Correct answer is U2, right? Get an amen on that one. One of the greatest bands of all time, U2, absolutely hits the nail on the head. They sang the words from that epic song, With or Without You, right? And the line in that song that I'm thinking of right now goes like this. I can't live with or without you. I can't live with or without you. You're singing it right now in your heads? And let me ask you this, how often have you said that very same thing about some relationship in your life? I can't live with or without you. And if you're honest, we'd all say, well, yeah, I've said that before. That's because we're all made to need, we're all made to require relationships, no matter how difficult they are, how arduous they are, how taxing they are, how straining they are, how frustrating they are, we need, we require relationships. It's hardwired into us. God set us up to belong to someone. He set us up to want to be wanted, to need to be valued, to be cherished for the people we are. And the brain science here is just astounding. Human beings, our most basic genetic structure is such that our minds are hardwired to develop these emotionally based interconnected relationships immediately from birth, just like that. Relationships, therefore, are not an option for us. The second you're born, you're in relationship with parents, siblings, all kinds of other relatives and friends. Relationships with other children in our lives start at a remarkably early age. Those relationships develop, they evolve, they take shape into school and work relationships, close friends develop, and then, for many, many people at some point in their life, Many people develop a relationship with someone whom they deeply love. And here's what happens, though. Anytime a relationship becomes difficult or painful, our tendency is to shove that relationship away, dismiss that relationship, and even, in some cases, attempt to abandon all relationships entirely. I'm just going to cocoon up, I'm going to curl up in a ball, and I'm going to no more relationships. 
But what happens because of this hardwiring that God's set into us is we crawl out at some point of our cocoon and we circle back into relationship, even some of those painful ones, because it's so innate in us. So when it comes to relationships, we get to choose how we relate to those relationships. But there's no choice about whether or not we're going to participate in them. For us, our choice really comes, am I going to maintain a healthy posture in this relationship or am I not? It's not a matter of whether or not we can or can't be in relationship. We must be. This relationship-binding hardwiring that God made us with is so intense that a guy named Dr. Dean Ornish, he discovered, and I'm quoting here, that loneliness and isolation, check this out, increases the likelihood of disease and premature death from all causes by 200 to 500% or more. Did you hear that? Loneliness and isolation increases the likelihood of disease and premature death from all causes by 200 to 500% or more. And he says in short, anything, anything that promotes a sense of isolation often leads to illness and suffering. Anything that promotes a sense of love, intimacy, connection, and community is healing, hardwired into us. Did you also know that you're made with the capacity to choose? You're also made with the capacity to choose. That doesn't mean that we can necessarily choose our relationships. For example, you didn't get to choose your parents, your siblings, or your children, right? And how many of you have said on more than one occasion, I'd gladly trade some of those people in? Like different ones, right? But what we can choose every single day is how we're going to behave within the scope of those relationships. See if this one resonates with you. Have you ever hit a rough relational patch with someone, doesn't matter, spouse or friend, coworker, it doesn't matter, and said this, either aloud or to yourself, I just don't have any choice. Ever said that? I'm forced to, I don't have any choice. We've all said that. Trouble is, it's not true. We do have choices, lots and lots and lots of choice every day. Are you going to stay stuck in neutral, for example, in that relationship or not? Are you going to move it off center? Are you going to keep hanging on to your bitterness or are you going to forgive? That's a significant choice that you and I have every day. Are you going to hurt the other person back just because they've hurt you? Are you going to run and hide and curl up in a ball, in a cocoon? When relationships get harder, you're going to stay and are you going to gut through it and you're going to talk through it and you're going to love? That's a choice. Are you going to see yourself through a distorted lens? Or are you going to see yourself under the microscope of truth, how God sees you? Choice. And see, the deal is that choice equals power and there's real real power in making a choice because choice equals change. And choices are difficult very often because to choose means that you're making a declaration, you're driving a stake in the ground declaring both to God and to people that you're gonna do things differently, you're gonna change, things aren't gonna be like they have always been and change can be quite off-putting and threatening to some people. But what it all comes down to at the end of the day is you and I making a decision, taking control, laying aside the victim complex that perhaps we've been carrying for a very long time, and moving forward one 
step at a time towards something new, something better. But you have to choose. God made you, hardwired you to choose. God made you, me, us, to change all of us. And understand it this way. Staying where you are, the way you are, is a choice. Staying where you are, the way you are, is a choice. And it's a choice for the change to be done to you rather than by you. Third thing, we're going to finish with this one. You are made to take responsibility for yourself. God hardwired that into us. We are made to take responsibility for ourselves. And the story of the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, it's all of our story, right? Here they were, created by God to take responsibility for themselves. But when they chose to ignore God's directives, what they did was to fundamentally violate the stuff that every relationship is made of. When pressed by God to like navel gaze, take response, what did you do? was the question. What did you do? They didn't own their stuff. Instead, they took a pass. They refused to take responsibility. They pointed fingers. They passed the buck. They played the ever-loving blame game. And we do the same thing, don't we? Lots and lots and lots of days, we do the very same thing. When we find ourselves in relational rough patches very often, we point the finger. It's him, it's her. We say things like, if only you would, then I could. It would be so easy for you to, I, why don't you, all those things. And One of the most important things you ever do in any relationship, I don't care what relationship it is, one of the most very most important things you ever do is take personal ownership and responsibility for what you do and what you say and how you say it and what you choose. Owning our stuff. And I don't need to tell you this. Personal responsibility is sorely lacking in our society, isn't it? Way, way, way too many people resort to the very same game that Adam and Eve introduced thousands of years ago. Just blame someone else. Just pass the buck. Most of the time, though, in any relationship, any conflict, any rough patch, whatever you want to call it, is the result of the people within the relationship blaming each other instead of taking responsibility for their own stuff, own actions, own words, own thinking. And get this, relational healing is only possible when we stop focusing on the other person and see ourselves, our behavior, me, as part of the problem and begin then to take responsibility for what we can take responsibility. I can't take responsibility for what you do to me. I can't. What you say, what you do, I can't take responsibility for that. I can only take responsibility for me right here, my stuff, my words, my misstep, all this stuff. You can take responsibility for you. God made us, all of us, for relationships. There's absolutely no getting around that. And the choice that we have every single day is whether or not we will work with the stuff that God hardwired into us that every relationship 
is made of or whether we will work against those things. That's our choice. It's really just that simple. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would and I invite you to close your eyes, bow your heads and just lean into these things with the Lord if you would. I'd give you a meditative question to think on with the Lord. Ask the Lord to speak to you around this. How is God challenging you to calibrate those three relationship realities today? Where's God breaking into your heart and your life around those truths? You're made for relationships. You're made with the capacity to choose. You're made to take responsibility for yourself. Where's God breaking in? Where's God speaking so loudly and so clearly to you that there's just no denying it? And it could be around any of those three. Maybe all of those three for you. Maybe you're in quite a spot. Relationally speaking. Will you just do some business with God? around what it is that he's saying to you and how it is you're going to walk your obedience out as you say yes. You're right, Lord. You're made for relationships. You are made with the capacity to choose. And you are made to take responsibility for yourself. God's reconciliation and healing and forgiveness and transformation. Where's it breaking in? And something that really caught my attention this week is that that same stuff that human relationships are made of are also true of our relationship with God. You're made. You are made for a relationship with God. You're also made with the capacity to choose him, to choose whether or not to live in relationship with him or not. And you're made to take responsibility for yourself within that relationship with him or frankly without him. And I'd offer today that for some, all three of those things add up to your needing to choose to live your life in relationship with Jesus as your Savior once and for all. That it's time for you to come home to Him. And if that's you, you can take the really bold and courageous step of crossing the line of faith in Him. The bold and courageous step of following him for the rest of your days by praying with me. I invite you, if that's you, to pray with me. Jesus, you're right. I'm made for a relationship with you and I've been denying that reality 
for some time. I've been running and I've been hiding and evading, trying to evade you. And Jesus, today I'm coming home to you. I'm acknowledging to you, I'm confessing my sin to you. And I'm declaring that I want you to be the Savior and the Lord of my life, Jesus. No more playing games. Here's my life. Here's my heart. Here's my gratitude for everything you've done for me, Jesus. Thank you for loving me so well, loving me all the way to the cross and for not giving up on me when I turn my back on you, Jesus. Thank you. Here I am, every last bit of me. And if you're someone who's crossing the line of faith in Jesus today, that is the biggest decision of your whole life. And it's so big, so weighty. Around here we ask people to tell us when they make that choice. And this is a real private thing. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Nobody's looking around this room. And if you prayed with me just then to give your heart and life to Jesus, would you be real bold right now and would you slip your hand up and lock eyes with me? You can do that right, yeah, right here to my right and there to my right, both of you in the back there, absolutely. Way to go, yes, and here, yeah, buddy, way to go. And to my left, yeah, way to go. And oh, you, you, yes, and you too, right there, yeah, way to go, yes, right there, yeah, bud. Way to go. Made for relationship with God. And it's all for you who've just stepped across the line of faith. It's all coming together for you right here, right now. Life changes and eternity changes just like that. Way to go. And God, we say way to go to you as we lift our praise to you and we say thank you for these who are coming home to a relationship with you. Thank you. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for loving us. We know it would have been easy for you just to ignore us and say, okay, you screwed it up and I'm out. But all of our gratitude rises to you for the reality that you didn't do that. That you stuck by us. And so Jesus, what's also true is that our sin nature gets in the way of human relationship. It messes stuff up and we don't want that. We want to subject all of our lives, all of our relationships to you and your authority. And we ask Jesus where there's relational damage that you would pour yourself out in restoration and power. Please, Jesus. Help every single person in this room, especially me, Jesus, walk out what it looks like to live relationally healthy with one another, with others in our family, every every relationship we have. 
We want it to declare you to the world. We want every relationship we have to have your fingerprints all over it. So that the world looks on and sees how we relate one to another and to another and to another. And they say, I see Jesus in that relationship. And that you would stir Jesus a relationship revolution starting with me, starting with the people in this room. That we're not going to let junk go underground, we're going to deal with it. We're going to make choices that honor you. We're going to take responsibility where we've fallen short, where we've erred, sin, whatever you want to call it. And we're going to say, I'm sorry. And most of all, Jesus, we're going to say, I'm sorry to you. We're sorry, Jesus, that our crud gets in the way and screws things up. May it never be. Thank you, Jesus. You are the best.